Welcome back to the Hot Spice Show. As always, I'm your host, JC Calavita. Today, I'm going to talk about three potential names that could be dealt at the trade deadline that is quickly approaching. NYU catcher Mike Montenegro also joins the show to talk about his time behind the plate in both the short conference and at one of the most prestigious universities in the nation. To win the show, the player of the week managed to lead a pretty solid career for himself despite only having one hand. All right, let's get into the trade deadline. Trevor's story, he's 28 years old, and he's going to be a free agent next season. He's on the Rockies. The Rockies sit in last place in the NL West at 19-32, and 32, and they're probably going to be looking to unload some talent here at the trade deadline. So, like I said, Trevor's story is a free agent for next season, and this free agent shortstop class is shaping up to be one of the best in recent years. So, obviously, we have Story. You have Corey Seager from the Dodgers, Marcus Simeon from the Blue Jays, Carlos Correa from the Astros, and Javi Baez from the Cubs. That is a great mixture of guys. Now, Trevor Story hasn't had an awesome year this year. He's only hitting 255 with five home runs. But everyone knows his potential, and he can really help a playoff team as sort of an audition before he gets his payday. I believe that he could go to the A's on a rental. Obviously, the A's use of Moneyball, they don't really – get the highest caliber guys in every offseason. But like I've said in the past, they're usually very, very good. They are in a win-now mode, so I think they could make a play for Story. And the experiment of Elvis Andrews, who in year 32 hasn't panned out well for Oakland, his slash line is 207, 246, 256. So they're really in need of some power at this shortstop position. Trevor Story was a, a part of a great infield that included, you know, DJ LeMayhew and Nolan Arenado, but the Rockies' core has just been exploded. They're not very good, even though they're usually in the playoff hunt. Not, not this year, man. And the Cleveland Indians are also in the market for a shortstop. Ahmed Rosario is not the long-term answer. Trevor Story could help them in a playoff push. And right now, the Indians sit today on May 29th, only two games out of first place. And after they traded Francisco Lindor, everyone wrote them off. And quite frankly, the Indians have been a really surprise team this year. Moving over to the Cubs, Chris Bryant. This is a tricky one, though, because the Cubs have actually been pretty good this year. If they falter, I do think that they'll start blowing up the core with Rizzo and Javier Baez. And they've already sent Kyle Schwarber to the Nationals. He's very valuable this year. You know, he had a bad season last year. He's really bounced back, hitting well above 300, clubbing 11 home runs so far. And the Cubs have used him in two different positions, left field and third base. That could provide a lot of opportunities for this young player. Now, I think that the crosstown rivals, the White Sox, I think they're his most likely spot. Now, they don't need a third baseman with their young star, Yoan Moncada, being a solid force at that position. But I think Bryant could replace the injured Luis Robert in the outfield, who's on the IL for the next couple of months with a hip injury. And I think he really puts them over the top there in the central. Moving to Max Scherzer now. Max Scherzer is having another stellar year. Through 10 starts, he's a 2.27 ERA and around 12 strikeouts per nine. He has been one of the most consistent pitchers in the game for the past few years and would almost certainly be the bona fide ace on any team he's traded to. Now, obviously, the Nationals are sitting in dead last in the National East, 
and they don't really seem to have a chance to contend. Here's just going to be 37 in the next two months. I feel like he's going to want to look for rings now that he's, now that he's getting older. Obviously, he has one with the Nationals from 2019, and he may start to decline in a few years. But actually, many tend to get better. Many pitchers tend to get better the more they learn how to actually pitch rather than to throw. There's a difference between throwing and pitching. A lot of pitchers today are throwers where they just pump 100 and they don't, they don't really have a secondary pitch or, or a quality secondary pitch. Scherzer pumps, but he also has a lot of secondary pitches like his curveball, his changeup, his slider that really help him become a complete pitcher. Obviously, the Nationals didn't trade Bryce Harper when his contract was expiring, and I wonder if Mike Rizzo will choose to do the same in 2021. I think the most likely destinations for Max Scherzer would be the Red Sox. I think they're a great option. Their rotation has not carried this team at all. It's been the lineup with the resurgence of J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers. I think that would be. I think that would help them a lot in their push towards the playoffs. And Scherzer would be the ace right right from the get go. He would spearhead that rotation that has been serviceable but not great. They're. I, w- I would imagine they're in the, the middle tier of rotations in the league. They're not at the Yankees caliber or anything like that, but they've been good. I think the Cardinals are another option for Scherzer to go. They have a straight-up stud in Jack Flaherty. I think he's probably the best pitcher in the league, obviously, aside from Jacob DeGrom. But I think Max Scherzer would fit right in there with him and John Gant, who's also been a solid starter this year. His ERA is under two right now. And Scherzer gives the Cards a second stud pitcher to help them with a chance at a deep playoff run as they are in first place right now in the Central. Now it's time to welcome our guest to the show. He just finished his freshman year as a catcher on the NYU Violets baseball team of the University Athletic Association. He played in the prestigious Shore Conference as a three-year varsity player during his time at Thomas River South High School for the Indians. Mike Montenegro, welcome to the Hot Spice Show. How are you, Mike? Hey, man, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome, man. I appreciate you for coming on. So obviously I start every interview the same way. I'd like you to give me a scouting report on yourself. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say from a baseball perspective, uh, I'm six foot 185. Uh, I'm a catcher. I have been my whole life, righty thrower, righty hitter. Um, I would say, uh, probably my best attribute from a baseball perspective has to probably be my defense. Uh, I, I kinda, I always have prided myself, uh, on my defensive catching skills. That's really something that, uh, really got me into baseball and got me on the track to where I am today at college. But uh, the, the defensive catching is really just something that's always been the, the kind of the pinnacle of my game. I've always taken a lot of pride in it. A lot of guys, you know, you know, when you get to a college level, it becomes more about the bat than it is the defense. And I think I've always stayed true to my defense, but of course, obviously I love swinging the bat. Uh, I like to hit to all fields, um, you know, can drive a ball out if I need to, but, uh, I would say I've, I'm still, I still got a lot of work to do, uh, on everything, but I'd say definitely. The defensive part is is where my game's at. How does being such a good defensive pet catcher set you apart from others? Yeah, I think uh, I think there's a lot of guys out there who can swing it, uh, and definitely there's a lot of guys with good arms. There's you know people have some guys have just that one thing, but I really think I can. I really think I piece it all together. I, you know, I take a lot of pride in my glove. Uh, just you know, from a framing perspective, positioning. You know, there's so many little intricacies that go into being a great defensive catcher from your positioning before the ball's even pitched to being able to call a great game uh, to obviously your arm behind the plate and being aware situational and, and game awareness. I think that all factors in. And 
I don't, I don't try to neglect anything. I try to really uh, give 110 at every single little thing, all those little intricacies, they kind of amount to something special, which is the catcher position. And for me, it's everything. What would you say is the most difficult part about being a catcher? Um, I'd say just probably the grind. You know, there's a lot of times as a catcher where, you know, you don't get a lot of glory. There's not a lot of love in it. You know, you're kind of in the shadows, which to me, that's, that's where I like to be. I like to work hard. I like to be a workhorse and I like to kind of do it quietly. Uh, and there's a, of course a lot of days and practices and stuff like that, where you're just, you know, catching bullpens and there's guys just beating you up and spiking balls in the dirt. I mean, you, you remember those days, uh, brutal and there's some brutal days and there's some brutal hot days too. And all that gear. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's it's really what I pride myself on. I love the grind, and I just love being a catcher. Would you liken being a catcher to sort of being an offensive lineman where nobody really notices you unless you mess up? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot to be said about uh, the messing up part, uh, you know, because there's a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of good things that can go unnoticed, and then that one mess up can be real bad. Uh, so that's, yeah, offensive lineman, that's a kind of a great analogy. That's a good uh, – that's a good way to put it. But I, like I said, I just love, I love working hard and I like doing it kind of quietly. Uh, and there's just, obviously a catcher can have so much impact on a game and, you know, vice versa in a good way or a bad way. Like you said, there's a lot of uh, room for error. So there's a lot to, a lot to be done behind the catcher's position. So. Is there a specific quality that you believe that every catcher has to have in order to be successful? Yeah, I think certainly there's got to be a level of just toughness. I mean, I, you hear that all the time. I mean, the catcher position is not easy. Uh, so there's got to be just some level of, of, you know, humility, but like, let's go get them. And I think also uh, an underlooked aspect of catching has to be knowing your pitchers and, and being kind of that personable guy on the field and, you know, really knowing everybody's strengths and playing to them. Like there's, it's not just about the physical side of catching. I mean, there's a lot of guys who can throw hard behind the plate have great pops, can really do a lot of stuff back there. But all those little intangibles can really amount to something special. So it's important that those aren't neglected. How does the way you call a game change with each pitcher? Yeah, I'd say each pitcher has their own set of uh, – I'm not really sure how to put it. Everybody, every single pitcher has something that makes them tick. And I think the key is to really know, keying in and, and, and knowing what makes them tick. I mean, I had a – a guy in high school, he's one of my best friends still to this day. <clears throat> His name's Kiefer. And uh, when he would have trouble, he would get a little too excited on the mound or he'd get a little riled up or frustrated. So I'd have to call time and go out there. And I'd usually, he'd always make fun of me for it, but it always worked. I'd go out there and I'd ask him what he had for dinner. Uh, and it was the previous night, you know, what did you have for dinner last night? And it would kind of reset his clock a little bit. And he would kind of zone back in and he'd kind of relax. So there's little things, man. Every, every pitcher has it. And there's just, you got to understand what's going to work for your pitcher. And it's a lot of trial and error, but everyone has them. That's got to be a special skill you got to have just to be able to calm down your pitcher and make sure they're really in the game. Because uh, when, when I was interviewing Timmy McEnany, he said that he, the thing he likes most about being a pitcher is that he controls the game. But a catcher's got to control the pitcher. Definitely. And I think, you know, there's also that kind of kind of symbiotic relationship. I mean, there's one they're one in the same pitcher and catcher have to really be on the same page. So, you know, if a pitcher is getting a little too out of hand or or vice versa, even if a catcher is, is getting a little too much, 
uh, one or the other gets a little out of, you know, out of their comfort zone, say a catcher is calling something that the pitcher doesn't want to throw or vice versa, you know, they're, the pitcher and catcher just basically have to be on the same page. And anybody who's been in either of those positions will tell you that. Um, but there's really got to be that symbiotic relationship where they're working together. And when they do, it's, it works well. So, okay. Does being a catcher make it easier for you as a hitter? Are you able to predict which pitch will come next? Yeah. I mean, there's a level of, I'm not sure if I can predict, you know, so much, which can come next, but I think there's just patterns that you start to pick up on. And, you know, as a catcher, I think I start to see things a little bit quicker than maybe other guys do. Like, you know, a pitcher's pattern, where he's comfortable, how he's throwing. Those are things that I, I really try to zone in on on the other pitcher. And I think being a catcher gives me that kind of insight, which, which definitely is valuable in, in big situations. You said you, you play catcher your whole life, right? Yeah, that's right. What made you want to pick, what, what made you want to play that position? Uh, that's a good question that I'm really not sure about. I got to tell you, I think since T-ball, I just liked the idea of being the only guy, like the only kid with the gear on. And it was kind of such a unique position that I tried it out and I just, I guess, grew with it. Uh, but there are certainly days where I think I, I, I asked that same question to myself, why I chose to be a catcher. But, uh, I definitely, at the end of the day, I, I am a catcher at heart. I'm not sure how it started, but I'm glad I got there. So moving to your high school days, obviously, obviously you played in the prestigious shore conference where it's probably the best, the most talented conference in New Jersey. What was the competition like there? Yeah. I mean, the, the competition in the shore conference is brutal. I mean, anyone who's played New Jersey baseball knows that, uh, there's, you know, just one through nine, there's a lot of teams that can just one through nine guys can hit, they can swing them. And not only that, but they, I mean, there are just pitchers that are, I mean, they, I mean, pitchers that stand out across the country. It's not even just regional. Like there are some serious talent. There are some serious arms. Uh, so you never really know what you're going to get going into a short conference game. And uh, we, you know, back in my high school, we used to actually say that it was easier to win the States than it was to win the short conference tournament. And that definitely like held true. And unfortunately we didn't get to prove that our senior year, but, um, but that is definitely something to, I mean, the state championship being easier than the short conference should say a lot about the level of talent that's walking around and, and playing on those fields around here. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that the most talented players in the garden state are just from the shore? Um, I really, I'm not sure. I got to tell you, I think it's, I think it was a time thing. I think over time, a lot of guys, uh, migrated, I think, uh, just other you know extracurricular teams, like not just the high school teams brought guys together. And I think, uh, it just kind of slowly became, you know, just became the hub of, uh, New Jersey baseball. And, uh, I mean, the shore is a great place to be too. I mean, everyone loves playing down here and, uh, you know, the summers are great. The summer ball is competitive and, uh, yeah, there's just, I'm really not sure, but there are definitely a lot of talent. There's a lot of talented guys around here. So, did you have massive rivalries with the other schools in Thomas River, like North and East and Donovan Catholic? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I mean, the North South games, uh, I, I was really looking forward to those my senior year. They were so exciting. Uh, you know, I remember my junior year, me and me and one of the other juniors, uh, the kid, the kid actually who I used to talk about is dinner. Uh, we would have, um, you know, we would just get so pumped for those games and, uh, everybody, I mean, the whole town would come out and it was just so exciting. And it really just, you know, it kind of just assures you that you're doing the right thing. You're, you're out here, you're grinding, like, 
you know, it's kind of a nice payoff when you get to get those big games where guys come out, even the East games, you know, South versus East and vice versa, North, South and East. We all went at it. Uh, and same thing, of course, with Donovan Catholic, not to leave them out, but it was just a real big thing between us and North. We loved it. So everyone knows that Todd Frazier is the golden boy of Tom's River. Um, what's, what's his impact on the community like, been like? Yeah, he's great. I mean, Todd, I, I, I've seen him around multiple times. Uh, he's always around uh, when he can be around Tom's River South. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, actually, I think my sophomore year, he had, uh, he had donated the entire team under armor cleats, which uh, for me and for a lot of guys was not something that I was <laughs> accustomed to. And that was such a gracious thing for him to do. Uh, so Todd's had a great impact. I mean, he's a great role model for a lot of the guys uh, at Tom's River South. Obviously, he's, he's busy, so he can't be around as much as I think he would like and obviously that we would like. But when he's, you know, when he gets the chance, he comes around and we all appreciate that. So transitioning now from high school to college, how, how do you think your game has changed since you graduated? Yeah, I think my, uh, unfortunately, I, I can't really say so much from a, a game perspective because we haven't had any, but I would say the one thing that I've been focused on since my transition to college, even, even with all the, uh, the letdowns and not having a season and whatnot, um, even through all the letdowns, I, I've really just been focused on, get, on getting stronger. I feel like I have so much room to grow, um, not just from a baseball perspective, not just my arm, I, whatever, you know, my bat, I think physically I have a lot of room to get a lot stronger uh, cause I wasn't a big uh, weight room guy back in high school. I, I worked out and I, I kept myself in shape always, but I was a real big body weight movement guy. I did a lot of pull-ups, push-ups and sit-ups, but, uh, I was kind of introduced to the weight room when I got to college and I'm loving it. Like I, I love going to the gym now. It's like one of my favorite things to do. And it's obviously, I mean, I've been just going out and working out with my friends and playing on, playing on fields together. And I mean, I could just see it already translating. So I'm excited for what else I have in store. Talk about your recruiting process. Why NYU? Yeah, NYU is a, a perfect for me. It's always kind of been the best combination of academics and athletics together because uh, academics were just something that was really uh, championed in my household. It was something that was very important. Uh, so for me, it was always about the best combinations between the two of those athletics and academics. And NYU is just just kind of gave me the both of those in a in a nutshell. They gave me great academics. Uh, the athletics were great. The coach, you know, my coach Kimbler and and all the guys uh, ahead of me have set um, really set the tone for a great program, and it's one that's going to continue to get better and better. And it's you know we've already seen that. We just need to play. Uh, but NYU was just perfect for me, and I also loved New York City. I, I knew I wanted to be in and around there, so I was so glad when that worked out. I knew I couldn't wait around on it, so I jumped. What's it like going to college in one of the biggest cities in America? Uh, it's very interesting. I've learned a lot about a lot of things, uh, whether it just be academics. I've of course learned a ton from my academics only in one year, but just being in the city, you, you just see so much and, you know, it really changes your point of view. There's a lot to be seen and uh, a lot to be heard. And there's a lot of interesting people. I'll just leave it at that. A lot of interesting people with a lot of interesting things to say. And they've definitely changed over one year. Like I can't even believe it's only been a year since I was there, I feel like I've grown, you know, in so many ways, uh, like multiple years over just 12 months. So it's been incredible.
What would you say is your favorite spot around the city? Ooh, I don't know. I would say uh, when I first got there, I liked the uh, Washington Square Park area. Um, but uh, I, you have to give me a second to think on that. I really do like the area just in like West Village, East Village. I mean, that's that area is where most of my friends are. And, you know, just kind of the, the NYU like hub is, is right there. So I, I really like being around there. I enjoy that. And I just got me and my roommates just got an apartment there. So we're going to be there for a while. I got to ask, what's the rent going to be for you out there? The rent is going to be tough. We actually are still in negotiation with the realtor. So we are not sure, but it's going to be pretty expensive for something that you could probably get three times the size of in like a Texas real estate, you know, something like that. So. How have the upperclassmen helped you acclimate to college, whether it be balancing, you know, class in school or class in uh, baseball or just, just college, like the, um, the personal aspects of college? Yeah, the upperclassmen, I really cannot say enough about. I mean, I won't go through the whole list, but just a couple guys, Chris Cassandra, Nick Lafredo, um, Grant Berman. Like there's, there, and I, there's so many guys that I'm leaving out right now. Those are just the top you know, three that I've talked to the most recently. Uh, they've just been absolutely like instrumental and done so much for not only me, but all of the freshmen and really getting us acclimated, not only to the city and to NYU, but NYU baseball altogether, uh, just showing us the ropes and making sure we were comfortable, especially in such a, an odd year where we weren't playing so much. And we, you know, it, the, you know, out of person classes, all, all mine stuff. I mean, there's a lot that was different and there's a big transition just going to college in the first place. And on an off year like that, they did everything they could to just make it the absolute best experience for us. And, you know, I'm just so grateful for that. And I've let them known, I've let them known since that, you know, they've had a real great impact on us. So. Obviously uh, you guys, you guys, the season got canceled this year. What was the mood among your teammates when you heard the news? Yeah. I mean, we were devastated. Most of my teammates were, were really starting to get the feel like we were going to be able to play and that was the mood. I mean, we had a few practices where it was almost like a trial run. If we could, you know, keep social distancing and abide by all the guidelines. And I still, to this day, I believe we did that to our, the best of our abilities and we had no problems with it, but um, yeah, it was odd. We had a few practices, we were gearing up, you know, we were getting our Jersey sizes in and then pretty much out of nowhere, we got an email from Stuart Robertson and, uh, that was it. So our guys were devastated. Do you think you're going to have to shake off any rust after not really playing organized baseball for like two and a half years? Yeah, definitely. I think there's going to be, there's going to have to be a period of transition, uh, where I just kind of get used to seeing live pitching again and get used to seeing guys on the bases when I'm catching. And, you know, I don't think it'll be too much of a, I've, I've kept myself in shape and I've kept myself as game ready as I can. Uh, without playing any games so I don't think it'll be too difficult but they're definitely I expect to have some growing pains as I get back into the game a little bit what is something that you want to work to improve on before next season uh, I would say definitely consistency I would like to be uh, I mean of course I'm, I'm gonna keep grinding in the weight room and everything else and getting you know my arm stronger just being able to hit to all fields everything that kind of grind never stops um, but I really think just consistency is a big thing for me. I want to be a reliable teammate. I want to be a guy who gets up in the, you know, in the order and you really have a good feeling about, or, you know, is behind the plate and has almost no pass balls the entire season and something like that. 
And the goal is obviously to have no pass balls and throw out every single runner and bat a thousand. But obviously that's not going to probably be possible. But I think just that every single day, that mo- you know, that mentality and that momentum to keep being as close to that goal as you can is, is really what I'm focused on. What is a word of advice you would give to prospective college baseball players about either the recruiting process or college life in general? Uh, I would say, I mean, that's a good question. I would say probably stay true to yourself. You know, don't, don't try It's very easy, especially in, in the recruiting process and, you know, in high school and stuff like that to compare yourself to other guys or, you know, try to put yourself on a pedestal or vice versa. Like, you know, there has to just be that level of you are you and you got to just do whatever is best for you. So if that means, you know, going to play wherever, then go play there. If that's going to make you happy, if that's that best combination of what you're looking for, just go with it. What would you say is the coolest thing you've ever done on a baseball field? Ooh, I, I think probably I had a walk off. Um, I walked off against brick. I think it was my junior year and uh, it was a good game. And it was actually, it's funny. Like I was hitting the ball all over the field and I was getting robbed like here and there. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like I'm crushing the ball today. And I just have having no luck. And finally there was a spot that came up where it was, I think a tie game, bottom of the nine and uh, you know, man on third and second and third. And I just crushed the ball in the gap. And uh, it was just great. It was just such a great feeling. You know, all your teammates come out and mob you and, you know, it's just a great time. That that's probably the coolest thing that's ever happened to me on the field. All right, man. Last question here. What would you say you love most about baseball? I would say just, it has to be the memories. Like I love making memories and, you know, obviously everybody has to do the best they can do for themselves. And that's, you know, this game gets competitive as you get older, but I love making memories and having those memories. I mean, to this day, I still talk, you know, with my friends about, you know, got things we did, even in just like stupid little practices and stuff like that. It's just stupid stuff that you're going to end up thinking about when you're older and you're going to just, you know, it's going to put a smile on your face on a bad day. And it's just, you know, those kind of memories you really can't, they're, they're priceless. So, you know, if anybody's listening to this I, and who, you know, is making memories right now and is going to keep playing, like, you know, cherish them and, and make sure you make the most of them because it's going to be gone one day and you're going to really wish you had the opportunity to make more. So I couldn't have said it better myself, man. I mean, some people went on vacation during the summer, but I played baseball with some of my best friends for what, eight, eight, nine years of summer. Couldn't have asked for anything better. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate you coming on here. Best of luck to you next year. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. To end the show, I want to talk about one of the best stories in baseball history, Jim Abbott. On September 19, 1967, James Anthony Abbott was born without a right hand. Abbott grew up in Michigan and went to Flint Central High School, where he was an outstanding pitcher and quarterback for the Indians. He was drafted in the 36th round by the Blue Jays out of high school, but instead he attended the University of Michigan, where he pitched for the Wolverines for three years, leading them to two Big Ten championships. He won the 1987 James E. Sullivan Award as the best amateur athlete, and he was the first and still the only baseball player to do so. That same year, he also won the Golden Spikes Award, which is the Heisman for college baseball. In 1988, he made the U.S. Olympic team and led them to a gold medal. Now, that year, Olympics wasn't a real sport. It was more of a um, trial sport. And it wasn't actually a gold medal. It, w- it would have been the gold medal. I believe they got some sort of award for that, but I, I digress. 
That same year, Jim Abbott was selected eighth overall by the then California Angels. Abbott joined the team the following year without ever even playing a single minor league game. Only 22 players have done that in the entire history of the MLB. And Abbott is part of that prestigious group that has went straight from the draft to the majors. During his rookie year, Abbott went 12-12 with a respectable ERA of 3.92. He finished fifth in the, in the AL Rookie of the Year voting. In 1991, he had arguably his best season. He went 18-11 with an ERA of 2.89 and finished third in Cy Young voting. Abbott was set to the Yankees before the 1993 season, and in September, he did this. And the ground ball to short! Bellardi! He did it! He did it! No hitter for Jim Abbott! Abbott's fielding style was probably the most interesting thing about him. He would rest the glove on his right arm, and after he released the ball, he'd slide the glove onto his left hand. Many people would even try to bunt on him, but Abbott was an exceptional fielder, and this never fazed him. This even happened on all levels. They tried to bunt on him, and it really didn't work because he was so talented at what he did with, in the way he fielded baseballs. He'd been doing it his whole life, so it really wasn't that difficult for him. He was even able to bunt during interleague play, and Mariano Rivera claimed to see Abbott hit one-handed homers in practice. Jim Abbott retired at the end of the 1999 season. He is such an inspiration, he never let his handicap define him, and honestly, it's so cool to see that he actually succeeded. All right, everyone, that'll just about do it for this edition of the Hot Spice Show. Thank you so much for listening. I release new episodes every Saturday. Make sure you follow me on Instagram and Twitter at J underscore Colavita12. That's J underscore C-O-L-A-V-I-T-A-12. I'd like to thank Mike Montenegro for taking the time to do an interview, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I look forward to you joining me next week. One more time, I'm JC Calavita, a.k.a. Hot Spice, and this has been The Hot Spice Show. Peace, bros.